Today we are going to look at one more psalm as we think about how it reflects or um, interacts with our church's vision, which is the vision of our church is that we are pursuing uh, a community, uh, to be a community of people who are set free, to be honest, to be real, to be vulnerable, and to be ourselves, um, a, to be a people who are actually, who actually know God, the living God in our daily lives, and responding to him, and living life with him, um, and a community where we are actually taking risks with our lives. We are doing things because our God is big, and we're loving people differently and distinctly because of all that he's done for us. Um, and we're not afraid to sacrifice because he is greater and more sufficient. And we're able to do all those things because of the reality of the person of Jesus and what he has done and who he is. So we're going to look at Psalm 20 today. Oh boy. We're going to look at Psalm 20 today. And uh, basically, Psalm 20 is written by David and it is referred to as, uh, there's a group of psalms that are referred to as royal psalms, and, and they're psalms that are specifically about the king of Israel, the king of God's people. And it is a prayer for the king of Israel as he goes out to battle. Okay? And as we read this, I think it, it forces us to, to think about this, this third thing that I'm talking about, taking risks to love others and to make Jesus known. Um, it forces us to, to think about questions that have to do with what we want, our desires, with what we're trusting in, and where our confidence lies, and how confident we are. So listen to God's word as I read from Psalm 20. I'm going to read through the whole, whole chapter. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in, in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we think about these verses, these words, that you would work in our hearts, that your spirit would speak to each and every person here, and that you would open our eyes to the greatness and glory of who you are and to the opportunity you give us to live in light of, of your grace and power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is it like, I'm going to start off with a question for you. What is it like for you when you walk out your door? What's it like when you walk out your door? What are you thinking about? 
How are you feeling when you walk out the door? Um, I, I realize that it, it varies probably depending on the time of day and the circumstances of going out your door. Um, often for me, you know, as, uh, many days I, I go out my door and, and it's kind of routine, you know, I'm just kind of going, driving to the, to the church office and, and doing some work. And, and it's so like as I go out my door, it's just like this is what I do every day. I'm not really even thinking about it. I'm just kind of on autopilot in a sense. Um, other times, you know, I've, I've, there have been times when I've gone somewhere and I had to wake up really early in the morning. Maybe I was picking somebody up at the airport. You know, you wake up and you go out your door and it's dark. And there's nobody else around. And, and it feels very peaceful. Or maybe a little lonely. Um, other times I've gone out my door in a panic. I've been rushing out my door because I'm going to, like, I've heard somebody's at the hospital. I need to go see them. Or I have a kid I need to take to the ER. And I'm frustrated, and I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, and I'm anxious, and I'm, I'm, and I'm kind of panicky as I go out my door. There are other times I've gone out my door, and I've been eager and excited because we're going to do something fun and exciting. Um, and then there's other times I've gone out my door, and I've, I've been facing something that's hard that day. Maybe a problem that I don't really know how to, how to you know, solve. Maybe it is a conflict that I have to deal with. And as I go out my door, I have this weight on me, and I'm stressed, and I'm anxious. You know, there's all sorts of, I, I'm sure all of us have those experiences. We go out our door with all sorts of different feelings and, and thinking all sorts of different things. But with all the different reasons and all the different emotions that accompany our going out our door, I want to think this morning about how Psalm 20 helps us to go out our door in the most healthy, God-honoring way possible. So the question is, why should we look at Psalm 20 to help us do that? We might have to turn me down a little bit because I'm getting a little feedback over here. If you guys, somebody don't mind. Anyone? <laughs> Thank you, Art. Sorry. Um, why should we look to Psalm 20 to do this? Well, first of all, Psalm 20, as I said, is a, is a prayer for the king of Israel as he goes out his door, as he goes out the door of the city to face battle, to face trouble as he goes out the door of his city. And um, you might be thinking, well, this is about a king. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a king. I'm not, you know, the king of Israel. This is about the king of Israel, he, about how he goes out. But uh, um, the reality is, as you look at the Old Testament, often the, the people of Israel are encouraged to see themselves in the king. They're encouraged to see the king as representing them. Their success, their well-being in life is determined by his success and his well-being. And that's why to pray for the king is to pray for themselves. And so in a real sense, I think what we pray for the king, what they pray for the king, is something that we need to be thinking about, you know, applying to ourselves, to all of God's people. Um, but also it says, the very first verse, it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The king is going out to war, and he's facing conflict. He's facing trouble. And so again, you might be thinking, well, you know, that only applies to me sometimes. Sometimes I'm going out my door and I'm facing trouble. But that's not all the time. But I would argue that the reality is, is that, that all of us, every single time we step out the door of our house, we are facing trouble. We are going towards a battle. Um, maybe even, you know, sometimes it's very obvious. Sometimes, as I said, you know, we're going out to face a problem that we need to solve and, and tackle. Sometimes we're facing a conflict, a, something like that, something, a, a big task at our work or, or in, at school, you know. Um, and it's obvious that we're going out, kind of, 
in the day of trouble. But other times, it, you know, things are good, and, and, or we're just kind of on autopilot. But the reality is, every day we go out our door, we're always facing our own sin and the stubbornness of our own hearts that often gets in the way of the rest of life. And, and, and so we're facing kind of the battle of, of, of all of the temptations we will face that day all of the idols that we will be tempted to, to trust in. We're, we're also, you know, we live in a world that is broken by sin, where there is suffering, where things don't rarely go as we plan them to go. And, and we're facing battle every day we walk out the door. We don't know what we're going to encounter. We don't know the kind of loss or suffering we're going to encounter. And so what does this passage encourage us to think about as we go out the door of our homes, all right? And I want to talk about three questions. One is this. What is it that you want? What is it that you want? What do you desire? One of the things that the people pray for the king is that God would grant him his heart's desire, right? In verse 4, it says, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Later in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, he says, May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now, on the surface of things, this sounds like kind of some of, a, of an outlandish thing to ask for the king. I mean, is everything that he desires in his heart going to be good? Is everything going to be perfect that he desires? Should we be asking God to give him his heart's desire, all of his heart's desires? That all of his plans would succeed? That sounds kind of dangerous. If I were to ask God to do that for me, I, I would be n- actually nervous of what would happen. But the reality is, is that as, as the king goes out, he's going out as a representative of God, right? In verse 1, he, the, the, his going out is tied to the name of God. It says, may the name of, of the God of Jacob protect you. Verse 5, it says, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of, your, of our God set up our banners. That the, the king's business, as he goes out, hopefully, ideally, his desires are tied to God's desires and God's name and God's glory. That's what they're tied to. And, and so that's what they're, that's what they're praying for, that, that as, as the king's desires are tied to the glory and the greatness of God and God's purposes, that God would grant all of his heart's desires. But this raises the question for us, this raises the question for us. As you go out your door in the morning or the evening, when it's dark out, when it's light out, as you go out your door, for whatever reason, what is it that you desire? What is in your heart that you desire? What is it that you want? If, if we were to pray that God were to grant you all of your heart's desires, would that be a good thing? Would that be a good thing? This is a question I think that's worth us thinking about every day of our lives. What is it that you want? Sadly, a lot of time our desires are contrary to what God wants. They're very self-focused. They're very self-serving. You know, I just want all of my problems to be fixed because I, li- I want my life to be as problem-free as possible. Um, or maybe I'm having a conflict with somebody and I want you know, God to, to get back at them. <laughs> Maybe not God, but I just want them to pay for what they've done as I go out my door. Um, I go out with desires that are, uh, you know, tainted by greed. 
And they're not always, you know, that they're often contrary to what God wants. But then, aside from that, there, there's sometimes we, we have a lot of desires in our hearts that, that aren't necessarily bad in and of, them, of themselves, but they're, but they're not really tied to the greatness and glory of God. They're not tied to something bigger and greater. I, uh, we had the, a new members class a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned a book that I read a while ago by a guy named Donald Miller, and it's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And in that book, I've, I've referenced this before a long time ago, I think, but in that book, he, he talks about how all of us, as we live our lives, are writing stories with our lives. Every single one of us is writing a story with our life. And the book is about, he really talks about what makes a good story, because if we can figure out what makes a good story then that will help us understand what makes a, a life that is good and compelling and meaningful. Okay? And so one of the things he starts off with is, is examining what is it that you want? Is what you want going to make for a compelling and meaningful story? Let me just read from the introduction of the book. It says this, If you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when you drove off the lot testing, or you, you wouldn't cry at the end as he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and, and listen to the soundtrack, you know, to remind yourself of the movie, to remind yourself of the story you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember the movie a week later, except that you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to feel meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. And I want to challenge us all to think about this. And it's hard, you know, to, to kind of force yourself to think about what is it that you desire? What is it that you want when you walk out the door? Because a lot of us aren't even thinking about it. A lot of the things, a lot of our desires are like buried in there. It takes some work to think about what is it that you want? Is it going to make for a meaningful, compelling story? Is it tied to something bigger, to someone that is bigger? How does what you want fit in with the greatness of God and who he is and what he wants? I encourage us to ask ourselves this question when we walk out the door. What is it that I want? Is it worth God, is it worth God granting my desire? Will it bring him honor? Will it help others? If we prayed verse 4 for you, would that be a good thing? So that's the first question I want to encourage us to, to really think about. Even this week, as you go out your door, every, every day this week, what is it that you want? Secondly, and what do you trust? As the king goes out, there's this great declaration in verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So the king is going out to war. The most obvious thing to count on is chariots and horses in that day, right? If you're going to war, what you needed is more chariots and more horses than the other army if you want to have victory. Those are the symbols. Those aren't just the symbols of strength and power. Those are the means of strength and power in that day. And yet the Israelites make this bold declaration. We are not going to trust in those things. Whether we have a thousand chariots or zero chariots, what we are going to trust in is that God is with us. 
that he is strong, that he can give us victory. And he did that over and over again in the Old Testament, using nothing to provide victory, to provide for his people. And things are at their, at, at their core no different today. There are, there are all sorts of things. You know, back in those days, the, the means of victory, the means of strength and power were chariots, horses, you know. Today, we have, you know, a similar list of things we could make, right? Those things that represent power and strength. The things, the resources that we have that will enable us to succeed in life and be secure and be okay. And we could all easily you know, make a list, right? I mean, the most obvious thing is that might compare to chariots and horses is, is, is our money, the money that we make, the money that we, that we work so hard for. We think that, that, you know, if we can work hard enough or we can get far enough in the company to make enough money, we will be okay. Or maybe if the government would just, you know, give us one more stimulus check, we'll be okay. We think that money is the answer. We think that money is the thing that's going to sustain us and enable us to endure. But the reality is, again, God is saying, whether you have more money than you can count in your bank account or nothing, he is able to care for you. And there's all sorts of other things that we put our trust in, right? We put our trust in our education. We put our trust in our grades for students. If I can have good enough grades to get into a good enough college, we put our trust in our own, really, in ourselves as we tackle problems in our lives, our people skills, our ability to figure out problems. That is what we trust in. And God's saying, no, you need to trust in me as you walk out your door. You need to believe that I am going to provide for you today. No, ma- no matter how meager your resources might seem. What is it that you're trusting in? What is it that you're trusting in? Lastly, I want to talk about our confidence. How confident are you as you walk out your door? How confident are you as you walk out your door? Walking out your door with confidence makes all the difference. Walking out your door with the confidence that God is going to work and protect and sustain and bring joy as opposed to walking out feeling burdened and weak and already defeated. That, makes, that can make all the difference in your day, can it? This question hits home, to me, home for me, especially lately. I, I will confess to you that as I've walked out my door, I have struggled to feel very confident. As I've faced the tasks before me in my life, both just personally with our family and with our church, you know, as, as, as the pandemic impacts everything, more often than not, I walk out my door and I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to happen, you know? Like, I, I just feel weak. I have no confidence whatsoever. And as I look at this psalm, I say to myself, well, it must be nice. It must be nice to have this confidence that the people have in what God's going to do for the king. Look at verse 6. They say, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. They have every bit of confidence that God is going to to meet the king and to provide for the king and use the king 
and give the king success. There's this, there's this, this atmosphere this, as, as the king goes out of all sorts of confidence, right? He can't lose. I'm like, it must be nice. It must be nice to have that kind of confidence. Why does he have so much confidence? Well, it's obvious here, right? In verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. It's because he's anointed. The king, David wrote this. He, when, he was a, a young, when he was a boy, right, this famous prophet came to his home and passed over all his brothers that looked so impressive and then anointed David and said, you are God's chosen one. I am going to use you. I am going to work through you. You are the special one that I'm going to use. And so David, you know, knew that he was anointed by God, so he had nothing to lose. God was with him. Absolutely, perfectly. How could he lose? And then I look at my own life, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Kim and I have been coaching soccer Again, I've, I think I've mentioned this, but we're coaching soccer for two of our boys. And, and uh, as, as we go out, like, I feel like this team of these seven and eight-year-olds is, has been, like, they listen less than any other kids we've ever coached before, ever. I, I mean, I'm t- totally not kidding. Like, we go to practice, and I just dread going to practice because they're just, like, running every direction. They're, like, beating on each other. They're, like, stealing each other's balls. They're... You know, we're trying to get them to come over and listen to us, and they're just like, you know, kicking each other and running everywhere, right? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is such a, like, tiny picture of what I feel like my whole life is like right now. How can I have this sort of confidence like David has? I mean, he's anointed. I'm not. Am I? But this is when it's crucial for me to realize that this psalm isn't ultimately talking about David or any other king in Israel throughout the Old Testament. But this psalm is actually talking about Jesus. Because the reality is, you know, to pray this for any king in Old Testament Israel is, is, as I said, it's dangerous. Their heart's desires are not perfect. Their prayers are not perfect. But Jesus' work. Jesus' word, you realize that? Jesus' hearts, all of his heart's desires were absolutely perfect and in line with his Father, all of them. Every single one of his prayers were perfect and, and, and God was eager to answer every single one of them. Verse three, may he remember all your offerings and regard with, with favor your burnt sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself on the cross, is the ultimate perfect sacrifice that, that God accepted, right? Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the Messiah that, that, that God is absolutely delighted with and looks upon with favor. And the good news is that, you know what Jesus' desire was? Jesus' desire was that I would know that God loves me just as much as he loves him. Jesus' desire would, was that I would know that I am loved and forgiven. Jesus' desire was that, that I would be confident and know that God is with me. Jesus' prayer is that I would know God's glory and power. And it's only through Jesus' sacrifice that, that I 
experience God's forgiveness and his love. And, and what, what the New Testament tells us is that as, for those who believe that, for those who have received what Jesus has done, what God does is he unites us to Jesus. He makes us one with Jesus. And so that everything that is true of Jesus is true of me. And so guess what? If Jesus is anointed, so am I. If the king has every reason to feel confident because God will not let him down and be with him, then so do I. Because in Christ, I am anointed. God has claimed me. He says, I am special. I am chosen. I am going to use you. I'm going to work through you. That's what I need to think about as I walk out the door every day of my life. I have every reason to be confident, every reason to believe that God is with me, that he is at my back. And this is what we need to think about as we go out our doors. We need to examine what, what is it? What is it that we want? We need to think about what is it that I'm trusting in? And we need to remember that because of Christ, I have every reason to walk out my door with a skip in my step. Because God's not going to let me down. God's going to use me. God's going to show up to demonstrate his power. And this, I said at the beginning, this kind of relates to taking risks. This produces people who are eager to say, I'm not going to just like focus on what I can do with the things that I have. I'm going to take steps of faith. I'm going to take risks to love people. I'm going to lay down things. I'm going to let go of things. I'm going to risk being rejected to share the truth of Jesus with others. This produces people who are eager to take risks and to see how God is going to use us and work. So let us do that. Let us seek to trust him. And let us be excited about what he's going to do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this reminder of um, the opportunity that each of us has every time we walk out our door. Father, help us to, to examine our own hearts, to think about what is it that we want, to think about the things that we want, and, and do they produce a story that is going to be meaningful and even glorious. Father, we pray that you would help us to rely on you, not on ourselves, not on our resources, but to trust you and to walk forward with all the confidence in the world because you are good and you are mighty and you are loving. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, please stand with us as we sing a song declaring that our confidence is not in ourself, but in Christ. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom 
my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hope, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing all His dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and i shall overcome yet not i but through christ no fate i dread I know I am forgiven The future's sure The price it has been paid For Jesus bled And suffered for my pardon And He was raised To overthrow the grave To this I hold My sin has been defeated Jesus now and never is my king. Oh, the chains are released. I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For said that he will bring me home and day by day I know he will renew me until I stand with joy before the throne to this I hope my hope is only Jesus all the glory evermore to when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me, yet not I. about to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and um, this meal is for those who have received and taken um, God's invitation to be a part of the 
incredible, grand, glorious story that he is telling through Jesus. Those who have received the work of Jesus for them, those who have trusted in Jesus rather than in our own resources to restore us to God, to make a way for us to have peace with him and to experience a relationship with him where we are loved and welcomed. Um, I encourage you, if you've received the work of Jesus for you, then this meal is for you. If you are here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus, you've never actually um, received the work of Christ, that he has lived, he has died, he has risen, because you have sinned and separated yourself from God, and and you need Jesus to repair that relationship. If if you've never trusted in him and and accepted him and and given your life to him, then, then I would encourage you to not take part. We won't judge you at all. But I encourage you to, to take this time to meditate and think about, you know, what is it that you want? Do you want to know God? Do you want to know his love for you? Do you want to experience being part of the story that he is telling? Um, and I encourage you to just talk to him, pray to him about it. Um, before we you do the confession of sin, we handed these out on the way in, the elements. If you need them, if you didn't get them somehow as you walked, walked by the info table, just raise your hand and we'll have somebody come over and give them to you. Does anybody need them? Just raise your hand and we'll have them. Oh, my gosh. We won't judge anybody that needs them. I'm sorry. Yeah, just raise your hand and uh, we'll get them to you as soon as we can. He was very busy before, before the service. All right, I think everybody's getting them. Um, let's, let's take a moment to confess our sin with the prayer that's printed on your uh, song sheet or it's in your order of worship. We'll pray that out loud together and then we'll have a silent time of confession. Let's pray. Righteous Father, we who own more than we use, proclaim more than we experience, and request more than we need, come asking for forgiveness. We seek your salvation then act like we save ourselves. We beg your forgiveness, then repeat our errors. We experience your grace, then act defeated. We rely on your power, but only in hard times. We have become confused and misguided. Forgive our every sin. Bring us to an unbroken commitment and steady trust through Jesus Christ, who is the way of hope, the truth of God, and the life of love, now and always. Amen. Father, we now take a moment in the silence to privately confess our sin to you. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. That because of Christ, we do not have to live lives where we feel defeated. We thank you for Jesus because through him, we can know that we are loved. We can know that you are with us every step 
thank you for Jesus because we can know that we're forgiven. We don't have to be defined by our sin or our guilt or our shame. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's uh, through this sacrament that we celebrate that we have an opportunity to remind ourselves that Jesus truly did live and die and rise from the dead 2,000 years ago. And because of that event, we can now come to God. We can draw near to God. We can live life knowing that he delights in us. It's an opportunity to, to, to say, Jesus, I, I need you to feed me, to strengthen me today. It's an opportunity to, to meet him by his spirit right now, to be strengthened, to be encouraged. And it's an opportunity to look forward to the future because he is coming back. Every time we observe this sacrament, it's, it's a reminder that he is coming back. This isn't the end, and we will celebrate. We will feast with him. Let's pray together. Father, we, we, we pray that you would take these common elements and that you would use them for your purposes to strengthen us, to convict us, to grow us, to move us, to empower us, to live for your kingdom and your glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to go ahead and take the the bread out. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same way, after supper, after he'd given thanks, he took the cup and he offered it to his disciples, and he said, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink together. Father, we thank you for these symbols of your love, these symbols of your provision for us in Jesus. Father, as we think about what we long for, what we desire, Father, we pray that these symbols and and the reality of what they point to, the work of Jesus, that, that that would shape all that we want. And Father, um, We pray that you would grow in us a vision for the feast that we will partake of with you in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, help us to long for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.